Well, good morning. So we are in a series, we're in the third part of a series called DNA. The underlying premise of this series is that because every living, breathing human has their own DNA, our unique God-given blueprint of what they're going to look like and act like, if that's true, then because the church is made up of people, each and every church has its own unique DNA. So as a church, we are going to be certain about these things that God has uniquely encoded in us here at Parkview. These things that make us unique, not better or worse, just unique. So we're identifying and talking about what it is that makes Parkview different. What we believe, what we're committed to, what we value. These things that God has woven into our DNA. And so, two weeks ago, we talked about the, the value that people matter. And last week, we talked about the idea of ridiculous generosity. And today, we're going to talk about the notion of everyday worship. And we'll finish out with better together, relevant teaching, and everybody does. This morning... We're going to talk about worship, everyday worship. Worship is core to the DNA of any church, any believer, any follower of Jesus. For many of us, we define worship as what we've just done. This 15 or 20 minute segment on a Sunday morning where we sing. Don't get me wrong. Music is a part of the story, but it's not the entire story. It's a part of the story because music is important to us. It moves us. It causes us to remember things. And it enables us to go out of our surroundings, to experience things new and fresh. Music is everywhere. I guarantee you right now, in the Davis household, there is music being played. It is a daily experience for us. When we get up in the morning and we're getting dressed, there's music on. When we get in the car to go to school, we turn on the radio. After dinner, there are spontaneous dance parties in our living room. Music is a part of our life. It's a major part of any 24-hour cycle. It's intrinsic to our everyday experience. I want to conduct an experiment this morning. I'm going to say some song lyrics. I'm not going to sing them. Nobody needs that. But I'm going to say some song lyrics and I want you to finish them out. Are you with me? I don't have high confidence this is going to work very well. <laughs> All right. First one. We will. Awesome. Great job. Sweet home. All my exes. I fell into a burning ring of fire, Johnny Cash, because I still haven't found, oh, now it's getting real, a little U2 in the house, 8675, wow, there are some old people in this room, (laughs) all right, for the younger crowd, hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but? (laughs) 
I heard a few more dudes than I would like to hear <laughs> on that. All right. But music moves us, doesn't it? Especially when we link together and focus our voices on the goodness and greatness of God. In the context of worship, music can take us closer to God than if we didn't have it. I genuinely believe that. But what I want to talk about this morning is what happens when we leave this place. You see, this is the easiest moment of your week to worship. This is the easiest stop on your journey over the next seven days to worship. And so too often, this is the fullest extent of our worship. And if part of our DNA at Parkview is to live a lifestyle of worship, everyday worship, then we need to be transformed into everyday worshipers. Worship can be defined as a positive reflection of the power, the grace, and the love of God to the world around you. And it, that definition is something that must be ingrained in our lives. In order for that to occur, worship needs to come into our lives and from the inside out transform you and I and change what we do. If it doesn't change us, then it's just words. You see, worship is not an event. It's a life that we live out before God and before the world every single day. So I want to look this morning at a very short and simple passage from the book of John. If you brought your Bible, open it to John chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd like you to take one of ours. Start 2015 off to a good start. Steal a Bible from church. (laughs) Seriously, take one with you. We want you to have it. John chapter 4 relays a very familiar story. It's a conversation between Jesus and a woman of Samaritan descent. Jesus has just spent the first 18 verses of John chapter 4 calling this woman out on her lifestyle and her behavior. And he's extending grace and mercy to her. In this moment, she's feeling known and loved by Jesus. And in verse 19, she feels strong enough to ask him a question. So look at verse 19 with me. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus responds, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, you Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. You see, the woman is asking a huge question. Up until this moment, worship was a very localized and external experience. You were required to do it in a specific way, with specific tools, and in a specific location. You had to go to where God was. And when we dig deeper into this conversation and go, go beyond this simple question around 
location or where to worship, the Samaritan woman is asking an even deeper question about how she should worship. You see, her people were worshiping a different understanding of God than the Jews were worshiping. The Samaritan understanding of God was incomplete. In fact, the book of Hebrews refers to it as a shadow of things to come. Jesus, who was Jewish, was subtly moving her towards himself. Wrapped in her question was a desire to know God more fully. And she was looking to Jesus to help her reconcile the manner of her worship. And Jesus, as only Jesus can do, steers her towards true worship. His response in verse 21, Believe me, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Skipping on, yet a time is coming and has now come. I am here. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Again, prior to this moment, you needed stuff and a place to worship. Jesus changed that behavior. He liberated us from this confined type of worship. He came to make things new. And today, you and I are as free as that woman was in that moment to worship anywhere, anytime, in any place. And what Jesus is saying here is that God is spirit. He's everywhere. So we must worship in spirit. He says to her, you don't have to be in Jerusalem or on this mountain. You don't have to be in this temple or that temple. But why is this important to Jesus? Because he came to make it different. He tore the veil and gave us a new way to worship. She didn't have to be in the temple any longer to worship God. And the same is true for you and for me. We don't need to be in a specific place. We don't need stained glass or icons on the walls to worship God. We have been set free to worship everywhere, every day, in our homes. He's in our classrooms. He's in our offices. And he's in the closet of our lives where we try to hide. He is everywhere. Everyday worship invades every square mile of our lives. There's no place that it can be avoided. Jesus taught that we are all, every one of us, living, breathing, walking around little sanctuaries. And if we worship in spirit and in truth, we can take our sanctuary anywhere. This is everyday worship. Again, worship is one of those things that we simply cannot avoid. It is natural to us. It is hardwired into our DNA. We are made to do it. All of us, Christian, non-Christian, Hindu, Muslim, humans are designed to worship something. From Adam's failure in the garden to this very moment, you and I search in wonder for something, anything to worship. We search because we're designed for it. And unfortunately, too often, you and I get sidetracked. When we're searching for something to worship, in our fallen nature, we'll worship anything, anything that we cannot explain or own, we will worship. This is why ancient man looked across the seas and found Neptune. 
We heard thunder and looked to the sky and found Zeus. It's why we worship whatever's next, because we don't yet own it. If we aren't focused on worshiping Jesus Christ, it's not like we just stop worshiping. We find the wrong thing to worship. The Ganges River in India is a holy, sacred place. Millions of people on a daily, annual basis, daily and annual basis, come there to worship, to absolve their sins. And they get into the river and they bathe because they believe that is where God lives. That God is contained in the banks of that river. And they've got to go there and immerse themselves in that water to worship God. And I've been to the Ganges River several times. And it is not the pristine national forest kind of river that you might imagine. It is dirty. It is unclean. And yet millions of people flock there to worship. But you and I live a different life. You and I are not worshiping a God that's contained by banks of river. You and I are not worshiping a God that lives in a mountain or in a temple. We worship a God that is everywhere in every moment of every day. This verse says that true worship is done in truth. In other words, we come to worship God through truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Later in chapter 14, later in this book, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. You see, true worship happens everywhere and through Jesus. He came to help us worship God. Now, let me just say, before we move on from the Samaritan woman, if you don't know this, you should. The Samaritan people were considered a second-class type of citizen in this culture and in this day. In fact, this woman was a prostitute who had been living a life of wanton consumption of sin. And Jesus, in this moment, is inviting her to know him. He's inviting her with all her brokenness and dysfunction into true worship. He's inviting her to move away from worshiping a God that she doesn't really understand to moving to a Savior who's standing right in front of her. I think we often believe that we need to be in a holy place, whether that is physical space or spiritual space in order to truly worship. We believe somehow that worship is supposed to be this sanitized, pristine moment. And we forget that Jesus came to make it different. And regardless of your condition and regardless of the place, you have the freedom to worship every day. The book of John teaches that everyday worship, true worship is done in spirit and in truth. It's to be done every day. This idea is reinforced in Hebrews chapter 13. So I'd like you, with the few moments that we have left, to turn there to Hebrews chapter 13, starting with verse 15. The writer of Hebrews takes this idea of spirit and truth and takes it to another level. Says in verse 15, Through Jesus, therefore. Again, the idea that we worship God through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer a God, to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess His name. 
And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. The book of Hebrews, well, really it's a letter. Actually, most of the New Testament is made up of letters to churches and followers of Christ. We just call them books. But in this letter to Hebrews, to the people of Hebrews, it's again reinforcing this idea of everyday worship. Verse 15 says that we are to worship continually. Continually means something more than the 68 minutes that we will sit here this morning. Continually gets our worship outside the walls of this building. Continually gets our worship outside our own individual devotional lives. Continually gets us outside our Christian bubble of books and conferences and prayer events and worship services. Continually gets us out of our headphones. And more importantly, continually gets us into our, work, our conversations with friends and into our offices, our classrooms, the boardrooms, our Starbucks moments. Continually gets worship into our entertainment choices, our bank accounts, our hidden thoughts and our dark nights and our joys. We are to continually offer God a sacrifice of praise with our lips. This praise, the fruit of our lips, is borrowed from an Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 14. The tribute of our lips which acknowledge His name, is what Hosea says. The idea here is that everyday worship, true worship, is about public acknowledgement of Jesus' name, His grace, mercy, and character. Now, verse 16 takes this idea of everyday worship up another notch. Verse 16 moves us from the fruit of our lips, the idea of a verbal worship, to something more tactile. The passage says, Do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The writer of Hebrews is expanding our understanding of worship to include acts of compassion and integrity. In fact, the word used here in the, uh, for others in the original Greek language brings with it the idea of people outside the community of faith, outside the Christian community. And this text is linking true worship, everyday worship, with acts of compassion and integrity to the world around us. When we choose to do what is right, God is worshipped. When we choose to touch the broken, God is worshipped. When we choose to be honest at work, God is worshipped. Even if no one notices, even if you are ridiculed for it, God is honored. That's everyday worship. Singing or verbalizing our worship has a very important role. But it's not the only thing that we do. It's how we acknowledge the name of Jesus Christ out in the wild, out in public. It's how we live out our life every day, reflecting the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to a dying, broken world. Pastor and author and founder of the Passion Movement, Louis Giglio says, we've got to live the song. We must recognize that to fully live a life of everyday worship, we need to reflect the grace of God to the world around us every hour of every day. You see, God loves the world. Every soul in it, all seven billion of them. He wants everyone to taste his goodness and experience his grace. He wants every heart to sing his praise. But this can't happen 
unless you and I reflect his wonder, his grace, his mercy, his love in every corner of the world. We are called to live a life of everyday worship. What we do here on Sunday morning is intended to be practice for the rest of the week. It's intended to be a celebration of surviving another week. But it's intended to be practice for the week to come. And so this morning, we're going to finish our service by practicing some more. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to practice what it means to worship so that when we leave this place, we're ready to worship every day. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to practice. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And we ask, God, that you would give us the strength and the courage to live that act of worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And God, as we practice, hear it, be pleased by it. Use this moment to transform us into everyday worshipers. And I promise when it's said and done, we'll give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise because it is through your son, Jesus Christ, that we do all of this. You believe that? Mighty warrior? That should fire you up. Baptisms? Little rowdy music? It should prepare you for the week to come. As, uh, as usual, there'll be folks down here ready to pray for you. If this morning you've come with a, needing a little something extra, just make your way down here. These folks would love to pray with you. And I, I, I want to encourage you. I know winter congregational meeting doesn't sound very exciting but we got a lot to talk about so come back tonight be a part of this community again tonight to learn about what's going on in the future all right let's pray father as the church leaves this place give us the courage and the strength and the sensitivity to your spirit to live lives of everyday worship that we'd walk out of here transformed into everyday worshipers we will reflect the goodness and greatness of you through your son, Jesus Christ, to the world around us. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week.